Welcome back for another episode of the Happy at Work podcast with Laura, Tessa, and Michael. Each week, we have thoughtful conversations with leaders, founders, and authors about happiness at work. Tune in each Thursday for a new conversation. Enjoy the show. And welcome back to the Happy at Work podcast. I'd like to welcome today Jennifer Jaguna, who is the COO of Common Future. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Excited to be here. Excellent. And why don't we just dive right in? Jennifer, can you tell us a little bit about your career journey and and how you landed at Common Future? Yes, yes. So I'm actually an attorney and I went to law school thinking I was going to be a civil rights attorney litigating courses. And then I got to law school and realized I don't want to be in a courtroom, (laughs) but I knew that I wanted to be in public interest work. And so after a short stint at a law firm, I went into the nonprofit world. And after spending time at a few nonprofits, I realized that regardless of the organizational mission, it's really about the organization's internal practices, procedures that really makes a way for an organization to be able to achieve its mission. And so that's when I realized the chief operating officer role was really appealing to me because it was the role that really addresses all those areas and ensures the appropriate capacity and internal infrastructure to do great work. That is excellent. And so can you tell us a little bit more about what is Common Future? What do you do as an organization? And as the COO of Common Future, you know, what what are the kinds of things that your activities and projects that you're most focused on? Yeah. So Common Future is a nonprofit focused on advancing racial and economic equity and really powering local solutions to ensure we have an economy that works for all. And so as the chief operating officer, I'm the one that oversees all of our people practices, our finances, our IT, and our strategic operations within the organization. So again, just really ensuring that we have the right capacity and the right resources to do that work and to advance an economy that works for all. Excellent. It it sounds really interesting as well as necessary for the current times that we live in. And I'm going to take a little bit of a turn with your organization. And and we found out that you are practicing a four-day work week at Common Future. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So we actually piloted the four-day work week before deciding to make the move full-time. And, you know, like many organizations, you know, we were doing some reflecting given the times that we were in. So having been through COVID, having been through the racial reckoning that happened after the murder of George Floyd and several others. And we wanted to think about how can we give our staff more time, more space, more opportunity for their own self-care and to just navigate perilous times. You know, we're majority Black and Brown people of color organization. And so in particular, thinking about our population, you know, we know the statistics where these populations are more heavily impacted by COVID. 
you know, so we wanted to be really thoughtful and show that care. And so a four day work week was one of the ways to do that and really give people time back to take care of themselves. We have a staff of parents and caregivers. And so it was really meaningful. So we we piloted the four-day work week for four months over a summer. Before doing so, we did a lot of research. We did a lot of staff trainings. We did focus groups and surveys to really understand what the data were telling us and to be able to make an informed decision we collected additional data during the pilot itself. And then towards the end, we did another round of data collection and overwhelmingly had very positive results. And and also just asked staff the quick question, should we keep the four-day work week? And it was a resounding yes. And so we moved into implementing that full-time. So we find this fascinating. We've talked about the four-day work week with a number of guests on our podcast, one being Representative Takano from California, who I believe has introduced legislation with Representative Ocasio-Cortez, also around the four-day work week. And, you know, I didn't realize that this is just the result of from a hundred years ago. <laughs> Unions deciding that you know it was it was going to be a forty a forty hour work week fi- over five days, and it's really just an arbitrary number. Yeah, teaching at an international business school for the last six to seven years, what I have learned is that forty hours a week sounds like a lot to other countries. That more like 35, 32 hours a week provides that level of balance. So, what are some of the you know, pleasant surprises that you've seen as a result of this? You know, what were some of the benefits you saw coming out of the the pilot? And what are some of the challenges you might have faced? Yeah, I think some of the positives were that our staff felt even more productive and, you know, felt energized coming into work on Monday. So that was essentially our hypothesis, but also something that we were testing. And so when we saw those results, we were very pleased, obviously. We also had a significant increase in staff being able to, you know, just engage in better health and wellness practices. And then the impact on parents in particular was really great. I'm a parent myself. I have two little ones under three. And so just having that extra time and not crashing into the weekend, essentially, where you're trying to take care of all your chores and errands and don't really get time to rest and and regenerate, you know, were some of the results we saw. I think one of the biggest challenges that has come up and, and something that is ongoing for us, and, you know, especially since we've grown as an organization, are just the the notion for unstructured learning time and staff feeling as though they don't have enough of that and having to be really committed and clear on where to prioritize and deprioritize. And sometimes that can be a little tricky. We, as a leadership team, try to be very clear about what our priorities are and the direction that we're headed in, because we know that gives the rest of the organization the opportunity to you know, figure out what that means for their work. And if we're not clear, then it's obviously less clear for them. So having to revisit that, especially because compared to that time when we were a staff of about 21, we've grown, we're now close to 38. So we've almost doubled in size. We've acquired two other nonprofits. And so when we think about our growth, it's an opportunity for us to revisit these principles over and over again to make sure it's felt throughout the organization. So it's been a mix of positives and challenges, but all in all, the positives we think outweigh the challenges that have come up for us. It's interesting how that 
having that extra day, people are using it in different ways that that work for them. So I, I really, I'm really glad you brought that one up. I'd like to talk about productivity, the the data that we're seeing on lots of people who are trying out the four-day work week is that productivity either stays stable or it goes up slightly. And I'm curious what your experience has been on that front. Yeah, for us, it went up. And we think the reason is because when you when you think about how people spend time, right? We were and and when we think about the timing of this, we were coming into a space where work as we knew it was shifting in a variety of ways because of COVID, because we're even more remote than we were, you know, organizations that were all in person moved to hybrid or moved to fully remote, right? So when we think about this opportunity to think about how we spend time, you know, there's probably a bit of time where we're, you know, engaging in looking busy working and, you know, or engaging in busy work that isn't really moving the work forward and, and, you know, with respect to the priorities that have been outlined. And so for us, this was a real opportunity to unpack what that looked like. And for us, that meant a training on essentialism, you know, like what's really essential in addition to training, reviewing all job descriptions to focus on essential work. We called it the essential job description. You know, so we really did a deep dive into what would need to shift for us, what's the mindset that we need to have in order for this to be successful. And we were really thoughtful about that in order to roll it out. And so I think because we did all those things, because we prepared, you know, even down to the point of talking about power dynamics, what happens when you're more junior and you're trying to prioritize. And that means you might have to say no to your supervisor, right? That's uncomfortable, you know, and something that not of us, not all of us are, you know, engaged in on a regular. So what does it look like to be able to respond in that kind of way? So we we did that deep dive. And I think because of that, because we were able to get on the same page about what had to shift, what we had to let go of, staff were able to, you know, rethink how they spent time, focus on those essential things, those priorities. And I think as a result, be even more productive because you're focused on the most important things for your day-to-day and for the organization. I want to ask a quick follow-up to that question, Jennifer, because I I think that's so important what you just spoke about as far as really being able to map the essential activities, the essential you know objectives and goals for a role, and then kind of making that determination. I assume you kind of worked with the employee as well as thinking about what does the organization need in order in order to do that. Just as a quick follow-up, did you did you find that you had to expand your headcount? Did you find that there were there were kind of other things you had to do in order to accommodate this new four day, you know, a week work style? Or did you find that you had the same level of productivity? And when you're focusing on the essential thing and people were able to get rid of the busy work, so to speak, that it ended up balancing out? Yeah, I think it was a combination of of all of those things. We were already moving in the direction of growth for the organization, but not just growth for the sake of growth, really strategic growth to facilitate additional capacities, additional skill sets to really accelerate the work that we're doing. That also meant right we're winding down particular programs or legacy work that we had been doing. So there was that mix there and it meant that Yes, we are bringing on new people, 
you know, we are bringing on new skill sets. You know, sometimes it's it's full-time employees. Sometimes it's consultants that are helping us move the work forward. So there are absolutely a variety of decisions and trade-offs that had to be made to advance this. But even, even with that, I think you know, with with the staff that we had at the time, for them, it was really thinking about, you know, what what comes off your plate? You know, what meetings are really not necessary? Can we, instead of having an hour norm, can we shift to 30 minutes? And then, you know, just recognize if, if, if we're all caught up, we don't need to meet just for the sake of meeting. So really thinking about those practices as well. And actually, one of the organizations that we acquired, Uncharted, they had actually implemented a four-day work week. And so we were able to review some of the lessons that they had written about as well in our preparation. So it was a variety different trade-offs and different decisions that really enabled us to think about that. And even today, when we revisit the four-day work week and when we revisit our norms, what's working well, where do we have opportunities to make shifts, you know, it's important to always be thinking about what those trade-offs are. So I want to um, pivot a little bit and I wanted to ask about more about the work of Common Futures. So can you can you tell us a little bit about what are some, what are some of the the initiatives that you're working on now and, you know, how does kind of what you're learning within your organization helping to inform the type of policy work or the type of, you know, external influence you're able to have in being able to develop that level of equity for for all? Yeah. So one of the main things that we're working on right now is really around this idea of field defining initiatives where we incubate, co-create, and fund. And simply what that means is we think about the local economy leaders and those who are doing amazing things in their communities and how we can elevate that, right? So whether it's funding them directly, whether it's co-creating with them, and really testing models that enable us to offer new ideas and new solutions within the economy that we have. And so when we think about that work, and when we think about things like the four-day work week, you know, and other infrastructure decisions, I think one of the things that is most important is that we're also trying to influence the nonprofit sector as well. You know, it's a sector that has a lot of practices that are, you know, traditionally reflected in in some of the decisions that were made, you know, in the early 20th century, right? When we did move to a 40-hour work week. And so how can we do the work that we want to do? How can we elevate those field-defining initiatives? And, you know, so much of our internal practices reflect a society that doesn't exist anymore. And so we're challenged to, alongside thinking about our external work, think about our internal work as well and how we test and uplift new norms. So the four-day work week is one of those. And I think what's so interesting about our example is that it is in the nonprofit sector. A lot of the examples that you know we, we've talked about and looked at are government or the tech industry or major corporations. And so to think about how we move the nonprofit sector away from the sometimes martyrdom <laughs> that happens there, you know, the the overworking that happens in the nonprofit space and, you know, the the lack of value there, you know, this was one of those really great opportunities to be an example in the sector and beyond. This is great. Uh, and my next question is going to be for speaking to some of our listeners who 
are considering a four-day work week, but have various objections about it. And there's pretty much the standard ones, reduce productivity, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, what objections did you have to overcome and, and, and how did you do it? I think the, the main question was around the productivity. I think some of the other, uh, not necessarily objections, but just fears about, you know, what does this mean for me? You know, we were very intentional about not reducing pay. So our, our hypothesis was 80% time for 100% pay. We were very clear about that. I think for us, what helped is that we were really intentional with a design. We didn't just say, hey, we're going to do this. Let's try it. You know, I mentioned the research that we did looking at other institutions that had already done it, looking at their different models. You know, some entities did reduce pay, for example, some of them you know, crammed 40 hours in four days, right? So we looked at the different ways organizations were doing this and made key decisions about what we would and would not do. So, you know, for us, it's 32 hours full pay. We were very planful. In addition to looking at that research, I mentioned the tools that we developed, our essential job description, you know, our trainings with staff about how to shift mindset, the, you know, data that we collected, you know, to be able to make a decision. So I think because we, you know, treated it as an experiment, you know, this is a hypothesis we're testing. We're not sure, it, you know, we could make a, a different decision. I think because we were open to that, depending on the outcome, that enabled us to just really move forward with experimentation, have the trust that we needed from our staff and from our board and our community, and, you know, be able to make a decision that, you know, the data, <laughs> you know, informed. So I think, that was the key piece. Um, and I think for other organizations, it's really mapping out what does this look like for your context, your size, you know, your entity. That's necessarily going to look very different for, you know, different organizations, but there's a lot of different models out there now. And so there's a lot of information. There's not any organization at this point that is going to be a first <laughs> or necessarily a pioneer you know, in that regard. And so I think there's some comfort in knowing that, you know, there are options and different ways to do this and even incremental ways to go about it. It's really interesting how how thoughtful you've been about it and all the research that you've done. Unfortunately, there's a lot of research available to take a look at. My next question is, is based on hybrid work. So you are in a four-day work week. Are you all in the office, hybrid, remote? Uh, what's the setup look like? And how did you come to that decision that that would be the best for you? Yeah, so we are fully remote. We do have office sites in Denver and in Seattle and in Oakland. Oakland is our headquarters. And then the other two are the organizations we acquired that also had office space. And then we also provide a stipend for staff to use co-working space. We also include in our, our annual budget, you know, capacity for teams to get together, to have team retreats. A lot of our staff remark in our, our culture survey, wanting that time to develop relationship with one another and, and have in time, you know, in-person time together. So we support that as well. But we actually, um, you know, the organization was much smaller, headquartered in Oakland. Most of the staff at the time, so this is about 2020, were based in the Bay Area and so did have a requirement at that point to come into the office a couple days a week. But after COVID, we went remote. We now have staff that are based all across the country. And so it didn't make sense to have an in-office or hybrid requirement, but also 
give opportunity to recognize that people do still want to get together. And so that's okay. I think being fully remote for us, you know, is, has been really important because it gives people the space they need to have, you know, the schedules that they need to support their work and also to support their families. I know for me, I don't have to spend time commuting. I, you know, I do daycare pickup and drop off. And so those kinds of things matters for different, you know, populations in our organization, parents and caregivers being one of them. And so we'll remain fully remote, but also provide those opportunities for people to get together. That's wonderful. And have you figured out real quickly how to deal with Zoom and so many Zooms or Zoom culture? Or is that not an issue for you? Oh, we're, we're always figuring that out. <laughs> It is it is our primary tool, but we we try to use other tools and norms to you know just support the work. So, for example, we use Google Docs G Suite. We do a lot of collaboration together in documents. So, if I'm putting something together, I'm not waiting until I have a final version necessarily before sharing it with my team. I start a document, share it with the team, and we're working in it together and adding as we have time. And so that's something, a norm that has worked really well for us. Obviously, there's certain documents where you can't do that. There's certain things that are confidential. Hello, I'm an attorney, so think about that (laughs) kind of stuff too. But, you know, notwithstanding that, we really try to create collaborative spaces. We use tools like Mural, where you're able to kind of whiteboard and and jam together on, you know, and brainstorm and, and things like that. So we do try to think about a variety of the tools that really you know, foster the spirit of being in person, the positives of being in person as much as possible. That's fantastic. So as we wrap up, do you have any advice for any organizations that might be exploring the four-day work week? Any any resources or anything that you would advise for them? Yes. So I would say, you know, go for it, go for it. I know there's a lot of fear, but there's also a lot of resources. And so the the path forward has been paved and it's a prime opportunity. You know, it's a very in the moment topic. So what better time to do it? I'd say understand your organizational context and based on that context, tailor what your steps are going to be. So maybe from one organization, you've actually got to build more buy-in, you know, with your leadership or, you know, with parts of your staff, right? So you have to factor that in in a way that may be different the way Common Future went about doing it. So, you know, once you understand your organizational context very clearly, you can map backwards and, and think about what's needed for you to test it out. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's a pilot, it's a test. You don't have to stick with it if it's not working. And there also are components of it that you can incorporate even if you don't move to it full time, although we recommend it. We've written about our journey. So you can check out Common Futures Medium. And in those blog posts, we also include additional resources. And I'll I'll make sure to send you the link. That's wonderful. Well, Jennifer, I'd love that Common Future is living your work and very authentic in the way that you represent, you know, your your organization and the way that you want to treat your own employees, the way that you hope everyone gets treated within the workplace. So thank you so much for, for joining us and sharing these best practices that other companies can learn from. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. This was a real pleasure. I really appreciate the invitation and getting to speak to you about this. Thank you, Jennifer. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. 
If you'd like to hear future episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Happy at Work podcast and leave us a review with your thoughts. Are you interested in speaking on a future episode or want to collaborate with us? Let us know. You can send us an email at admin at happyatworkpodcast.com. And lastly, follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter for even more happiness. See you soon.